Our next guest was born in the state of Punjab in India in 1946. He emigrated to the UK in 1964 and from there to Canada in 1968. He's been the Premier of British Columbia. He's been a Liberal Member of Parliament and Cabinet Minister, uh, served as a Minister of Health, a Minister responsible for multiculturalism, human rights and immigration. Well, you probably know his name and his political career. His name is Urjil Dasanj. He has a new title, writer, and in this case, a writer of fiction. Uh, Mr. Dasanj is the author of a new book titled the past is never dead. I really like that title name. Uh, he joins us now. Would you thank you for joining us? Good to be with you. Good to see you. It's been a very long time. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me, you know, uh, most of the time when you've ever talked, uh, I've been on the reporting end asking you questions. Uh, and this time I get to introduce you as Ujjal Dessange, writer. Uh, this isn't your first book, obviously. There's um, your autobiography. But this is the first work of fiction. Did you always want to go down this route? For a long time. Really? Um, yeah, I actually uh, took a typing course. I began a typing course in 1983. <laughs> typing and, and I couldn't, my fingers didn't do the walking, as they say. <laughs> and uh, so I quit after a couple of nights because everybody else was at halfway through the book and I was on the first couple of pages. <laughs> and um, I had a couple of novels in my head then. Mm-hmm. And um, so I... You know, and then I hesitated uh, about writing my autobiography. But once I was able to do that, that kind of, I think, uh, opened up the um, intellectual arteries um, to then think about what I wanted to do back in the 80s. Um, Well, life must have gotten in the way, too. Well, life and typing both got in the way, um, (laughs) a lack of it. Um, and I um, obviously the Golden Temple issue flared up and I said a few things and then one thing led to another. I never had time uh, from that or other politics. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a fictional account, as I said, on uh, I guess the best way to describe it is cast hold on the diaspora. Yes. The Indian diaspora. Yes. Yes. So walk me through what, what this story is about. It's a story of a, of a young chap um, whose father uh, is, um, his legs are mutilated um, because he's accused of stealing somebody's ox. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cops beat him up. And, and this young kid who's very young, six or seven at the, at the time, um, watches all this. And, and um, the father, shortly after the Quit India movement of Mahatma Gandhi, quits India mm-hmm. to get rid of, um, to flee away from caste. Uh, comes to Britain on borrowed money mm-hmm. and then returns after 10 years to um, bring his only child, the son, and, of course, his wife uh, with him back to Bedford, which is where he had settled, uh, working in a form, working in a foundry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the story of that young chap who had run-ins in the village about cost. The old man himself had run-ins. And the cast, how the cast actually follows him into Britain hmm. um, and uh, how it victimizes him and, and essentially um, is fatal um, for his wife's life, who happens to be from a different cast, mm-hmm. um, sort of an honor killing. Now, some of the story, um, it weaves very well with your personal story from India to the, to the UK, Bedford, and, and to, to, to Canada. Um, how much of your personal experience is weaved into this story? Um, 
some of the things that that happen to people mm-hmm. um, in this novel, the protagonist, the father, um, some of those things happen to my best friends who are no more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they happen to be living in Bedford when I was living there. So it's fictionalized. Uh, the names are not not real names, and events are also fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pain is real. The wounds, um, both on the psyche and the body, were real. And um, and I I witnessed caste or the impact of caste on the diaspora within the first week of me being in Bedford. I still had the turban on. I didn't speak any English. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had maybe grade six or four knowledge of reading and writing English um, as per Canadian standards. And... Um, and this old man, who was very close friend of my older cousins, uh, is slapped by uh, a so-called higher caste uh, person um, over some disagreement at a, a gathering where we're simply having tea. Hmm. And I just froze. And other people intervened, and and you know, uh, it was a minor disagreement over dumb stuff, uh, but it leads to violence because. You know, the, the caste divisions and the caste hierarchy has lent itself to violence. It is, in fact, violence. Uh, violence is so endemic to caste, um, the, the violence of the upper caste on, upon the so-called lower castes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this story is about that violence, both psychological and physical, that caste does to people. Why does caste, in your mind, persist um, after all that we know, the education that we have, the broader understanding as humanity. But caste, particularly in the context of South Asia and India, is, you know, this is where you stand in life based on your birth. Why does that persist, do you think? Well, I mean, there have been religions so-called um, devised to uh, end caste like Sikhism, and, mm-hmm. but Sikhism has as much caste as any other, mm-hmm. including the Islamic faith in India has caste. Mm-hmm. Caste amongst Indians, the people from the Indian subcontinent, Pakistanis and Indians, has never gone away, no matter what religion you take on, whether you're a convert Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I think, partly because you grow up in a very religious kind of a context in India. Indian subcontinent is a very religious place in mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's difficult but still relatively easier to fight against racism, fight against poverty, fight against class, uh, status, those kinds of things mm-hmm. um, because there is no religious sanction to them. Mm-hmm. They are secular concepts and they're secular things in themselves. Whereas caste has the blessings of religion mm-hmm. and and it pursues the converts into Sikhism. It pursues the converts into Islam and it never gives up. And that is because uh, very few of us, uh, those of us that are in so-called, um, you know, not such low castes mm-hmm. uh, have no incentive to fight it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, in fact, have every incentive to, it makes us feel, quote unquote, good mm-hmm. if we don't consciously think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why it doesn't go away. Who, who wants to give up all the privileges? <laughs> that is true. Do you see caste in Vancouver? Yes. Yeah, still. I, I, I've, oh, yes, absolutely. Even for, I mean, England to a certain degree, sometimes I would say well, it's an older country. It has its own 
caste system uh, without immigrants coming. It's always been there, the English caste system. We all, I always view us as the new world, and, and well, there is hierarchy. Yeah. I always feel at least we're younger, so we perhaps may not go down the road, or at least it may not be as prevalent here, but you still think it is in within within South Asian community. Oh, here. absolutely. I yeah. mean, class in Britain has also changed. Uh, I mean, caste has changed uh, in places like Canada. I mean, in fact, the young people are killing it to a certain extent because if you're if they're not conscious, they make you know boyfriends and girlfriends, and they want to get married, and sometimes against parents' wishes. So they're kind of trying to demolish the caste. But the, the I'll give you an example. My own, my middle son comes home one day, second year UBC, mm-hmm. uh, and and we had never talked to our children about religion or caste. Mm-hmm. And he was in second year BA. And he comes home, he comes home running, Dad, Dad, are we juts? Like he couldn't yeah. pronounce the word jut yeah. uh, because he never talked about it. So then I told him, I said, you know, uh, like, Let's not let's not talk about the bad guys. <laughs> Jets are supposed to be not necessarily very bright or smart, yeah. generally speaking, right? I mean, that's how we we talk about yeah, ourselves. It's a stereotype, right? yeah, right. Um, and so then that was the time when we sat down with our children. He brought it from UBC. He heard at UBC such and such costs are superior, such and co- such costs are inferior, mm-hmm. and he didn't know what kids were talking about. So he wanted to come home and talk to me, and so that's how. You know, in some homes, we teach kids about caste still. Otherwise, why would my son pick it up from UBC? Mm-hmm. We are speaking to former Premier Ujjal Dasanjh. He is out with a new book, The Past is Never Dead. It's a novel, a work of fiction. Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful book because it really does look at the caste system uh, and its impact on, on the diaspora. How would he recommend you pick it up? It's called The Past is Never Dead. Um when you talk about caste and its impact on the diaspora, we're talking in this case of the Indian context. You know, sometimes I'll have Chinese friends, uh, friends of Korean descent, Japanese descent. The the, the comments are uh, Italian in Italian background, Greek background. I've heard all this in some context. It may not be specific to uh, caste, but there is that um, generation, and maybe it's young people who are pushing back to some of the ideas in the old country they don't like. And 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 don't relate to, or just don't want to deal with. And I think your son's example is a cl- classic example of that. In many ways, I think the story here isn't just a story of a Canadian of Indian heritage. It's a it's a it's a much more diverse story. It's it's a it's a story about um, Indian families, uh, no matter where they are, yeah. whether you're in Singapore, Hong Kong, Britain, UK, US, Australia, New Zealand, you know. Brazil, no matter where you are uh, as as Indians, people of Indian origin, you know, people of Indian origin went to the Fiji islands and went to other places like the Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. Um, the caste remained with them. Mm-hmm. Some of it got erased. There were a lot more intercaste marriages, mm-hmm. uh, maybe out of necessity. Um, and... and uh, but it's not changing as fast uh, as I would like it. I, I, you know, if you ask people who are in the so-called, uh, who we say are in the so-called lower castes, mm-hmm. um, they will tell you they wanted dead yesterday, and uh, and it's not it's not dying anytime soon, mm-hmm. um, because um, you hear parents talking amongst themselves. Oh, you know, don't marry this, don't marry that, but you can marry that. You know, if you really want to marry, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> it's still there. It's well, still there. Oh, yeah. There's gradations of rejection and acceptance. And yeah. I think that that's, it's despicable, right? I mean, and, and the other problem is many of us um, want to be seen to be progressive and radical and wanting to change the world. But when we go back into our private lives, we become the same reactionary people uh, <laughs> that, is, that it, never want to change. Yeah. When I moved to India in 2008, um, I was always, appalled isn't the right word, but taken aback sometimes on some of the traditions that I saw in the villages. Yeah. Now, but it's easy to say, well, that's the villages, it's not the big city, but the big city just hides it a little bit better. There's more subtlety and nuance, but it's still there, right? But there's anonymity in, in the big city, yeah. which isn't there in the village. In the, in the village in old times, in my village, everybody knew everybody, yeah. um, the cast and all. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, even in the big cities, you know, you sit with... Uh, the movers and shakers, whether it be in government or business, or as I like to say, the ladies who lunch, there is still that sub- subtlety and nuance, even in a big old city oh, like oh, Delhi. Absolutely. It's still there, which yeah, is quite yeah, fascinating. You, know, you can tell from people's eyebrows as they move what caste they may belong to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is, humanity's need for hierarchy sometimes and is, is a fascinating, fascinating trait that you would think that we would be evolved enough today to be moved beyond, but we certainly aren't. No, we aren't. And, and, and the fact is that if you are uh, slightly urbane and rich and educated, you can hide the prejudices more than someone who comes from straight from the village like me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I want to just ask you a couple of questions on present day politics. Um, you're watched from afar, but what I've always admired about you is you have no problem challenging your own side sometimes with BNDP or liberal federally. Um, how do you see things today in, in regards to our political discourse, how we talk to each other, our ability to address vital issues, so very important to our economic interests, our cultural interests, all of that? How do you, how do you see us nationally at the moment? I think that discourse has become very angry yeah. on both sides. Um, I just heard some remarks from the prime minister which seemed to be equally sort of incensed um and um and it's the anger that's going to uh, i think be um a problem for the country um if the leaders uh, can't conduct themselves in, in a way that is um inducive um f- uh, about discussion and doesn't uh, make each other angry and doesn't personalize the debate um uh, then I think the country will suffer. And, you know, I like I was sitting with a couple of young kids yesterday, uh, Chinese-Canadian kids in their mm-hmm. 30s, um, and uh, they told me they grew up kind of watching me on TV and listening to me on radio, and they have high hopes for the country. And, in fact, they were saying, you know, politics seems to be changing. It's even like in my time, you know, they say they always used to say BC politics is a blood sport. Uh, But it's now if that's the case, then Canadian politics and the provincial politics, both in Ontario and Alberta and BC, the places that I can think of, is actually bloodier Mm -hmm. than before. And that is not good for Canada. That's number one. Number two, and I don't—I mean, no insult to anyone in particular, the existing leaders. But the fact is that we don't have the leaders of the stature of, um, you know, old senior Trudeau um, anymore. We don't have, uh, you know, the Kennedys and the Nassers and the Nehrus 
of, of that era. Uh, you had, you know, Obama, which was a breath of fresh air, spent eight years in power without a whiff of scandal and never angry, essentially, at anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that we need to learn from that, how we conduct ourselves. And we're not doing a very good job in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the re- because of the the nature of the debate and, and the caliber of the debate that we now engage in, I think Canada has been lowered in its stature internationally. Yeah. If, if, if the world saw can Canadians debating aspirationally, uh, not angrily, uh, I think Canada will have more weight in the world. Yeah, it is a, a, a fascinating time, certainly. But I think your your comments are absolutely true, and it, it saddens me with the anger, especially because I think it does yeah. impact yeah. the kind of talent you attract to politics as well, and that's part of part of the problem too. Well, I, there's not much talent, I no. might say. I'm so sorry to say. No, no, I got to hear it sometimes <laughs> on this end. So ask a few questions. But Jill, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Wish we had another half hour to chat. The book book is called "The Past Is Never Dead" um, by fiction writer Jill Dasanis. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.